fascinating. It's always fascinating to me. I tell people all the time, I'm, I'm extremely privileged. I'm extremely blown away to be born in this time period. I, I'm amped. Um, I don't covet anybody else's time period. I don't covet the 60s. I don't covet the 1800s. Um, as much as I would have loved to live during Jesus' time when he was on earth, I don't think I could have handled it, um, living without electricity. Um, there's a lot of things. I, I, I mean, I thank God for in the fullness of time that he's placed us in right now in this place specifically for his specific purposes that are on his heart and ever on the forefront of his heart. And I'm deeply passionate and we're deeply passionate about the Lord Jesus Christ getting his in this generation through what we'll repeat every week is faithful, unadulterated, meticulous tra transmission of the gospel of Jesus Christ into our generation, not just for justification for the unbeliever to be declared righteous, but also for the, for the believer who has been justified and declared righteous by Christ's propitiating work through the wrath of God being satisfied and extinguished, now letting the gospel be the nutrients by which we continue to draw a resource off of God for the purpose of the Christian life. And if that's not you this morning and you want to get to that point of justification, and if that's not you this morning who say that I'm not drawing off the nutrients, then holler at us afterwards. But just know that there's a crew of people that are between the ages of 18 and 35 that are absolutely amped, that are absolutely blown away, that are absolutely smitten, that are absolutely passionate, that are absolutely looking for the opportunity to have the baton properly passed to us so that we can do what God wants us to do in this time and generation that we're in. I'm excited about that reality. Today, um, our subject, we've been going, of course, through uh, John verse by verse, and we've been calling this series Jesus Christ Unplugged. Um, people keep asking, are y'all going to be in John Sunday? Just know we're going to be in John every week. So, so just know that every week, verse by verse, we're going to be going line by line through, through the gospel unless God has some need-based issues that we need to do in order to do some commercials or some abridgments in order that we can spit some more things from the scriptures in relation to what God wants us in that particular time to talk about. But today kind of, it's kind of, um, a, a real, real fun subject that I think every one of us, um, needs to peer in on. I think every person deals with it, it, it with what we're going to talk about today. <coughs> um, I think that it's, it's, it's a prime importance that we are on some understandings in some different areas. But I'm going to ask you a question before we begin. What, what does, what does um, the 1990 and 91 Chicago Bulls have in common with the X-Men and the Avengers and the Justice League? What do they have in common? Shout something out. Unstoppable. Unstoppable. Okay, that's good. Yeah. What, oh, you said a lot of people. Okay, what else? Huh? Say it again. Cohesiveness. Cohesiveness. Ah, chop that up for me. Well, somebody say something right here. A lot of skills. Okay. Teamwork. Teamwork. Uh huh. Uh huh. Y'all getting y'all getting y'all getting warm and warm on our subject today, huh? More people. Core people, okay. Had a leader, okay. United. What, what, what's interesting about this, these group of people is, is they have a deep 
reflection of our subject based on our verse-by-verse study today that they are very synonymous with. Every one of them, our subject today is role players. Role players. Each one of them had role players. I was looking, I looked on the internet because I forgot who was the first starting lineup, lineup team for the Chicago Bulls. And, and you know, I remember that, 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 you know, of course, Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, Paxson, and your man Cartwright. And, man, that, I mean, man, there has not been a basketball team with the level of cohesiveness that these cats had. And each one of these dudes could have been on a particular team and had their own team. But, I, but, but um, my man Phil Jackson had an interesting philosophy of what he did. His philosophy was you don't just build teams with a bunch of beefy players running amok doing their own thing. But what you got to have is you got to have role players. Role players. Say that with me. Role players. It's real important to have role players. I mean, you had Michael Jordan taking his, his role on the team. You had Scottie Pippen, who was a beast who could jump out the gym. Um, beastie, he was, he was able to shoot crazy. He, I mean, he had mad leaps, but he played a role, um, in relation to Michael Jordan. Then you had Paxson that could shoot out anybody. I, I mean, I put him down as one of the most lethal, uh, uh, uh three-point shooters in the history of basketball. I mean, he was a beast, but he knew, he knew that that was his role. He could have ran the point. He could have done a lot of different things. But what he was willing to do was he was willing to fall into his role. And what was what was so dope about their team is many times you didn't see much frustration with their role on that team. What was crazy about it is they fell into that role and they were passionate about that particular role that they had on that team because they were winning. And, and, and today our subject as role players and seeing Jesus and looking at John as role players on God's eternal team is very important and extremely theologically applicable to your life on a, on, on, on a minute scale and even on a grand scale. Because everybody in here has insecurities. Everybody. Everybody has insecurities. If we would have really, if we were sitting in a discussion group and we were in a circle, small group, and you said your name, hello, my name is Eric. Hi, Eric. Um, and then we go on and beginning to tell what your insecurities are. Everybody, as we go around the room, would have insecurities that we didn't, um, that we have not told anyone about. Well, our text today, as we read through um, this the verses um, 22 through 36 of chapter 3, we're going to see the beauty of what it means to be a role player and the comfort and the beauty of what it means to be a role player. And we're going to see a guy that's, that's, that's lethal in his understanding of his role and his understanding of Jesus Christ's role. <coughs> it says, after these things, verse 22, it says, after these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea. They were, they were spending time, he was spending time with them and baptizing, and baptizing. For John had not yet been thrown into prison. There arose, therefore, a discussion on the part of John's disciples with a Jew about purification. And they, had, they, had, they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you have borne witness, behold, he is baptizing, and all are coming to him. 
John answered and said, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that, that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. And so the joy, this joy of mine has been made full. Wow. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is from is above all. He who is of the earth is from the earth and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. What he has seen and heard of that he bears witness and no man receives his witness. He who has received his witness has set his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for he gives the spirit without measure. The father loves the son and has given all things into his hand. He who believes in the son has eternal life, but the one who does not obey the son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abides on him. Abides on him. Beautiful picturesque. Um, as we've been talking for the last few weeks, we want to read this in the way, the genre that the writer wrote it. And all the Bible was written in different particular genres to communicate things about Jesus Christ in a particular way to a particular audience. And of course, John is written in what is called a narrative prose. John kind of writes this like a, a, a variety show or like a sanctified uh, Saturday Night Live where there are, there are, there are uh, uh, different stages, different scenes, and different people come on the scene when this person comes on the scene they, they they their purpose is presented in that scene and it fades off and goes to the next scene so what we're seeing here is another scene coming up on the stage of the scriptures in the book of john where god is uniquely playing out through the voice of john the variety show of the unplugging and unveiling of the person of jesus christ and so here we have what looks like an abridgment. One, one, one commentator said, this is, in the book of John, these abridgments are some of the most understudied areas in Scripture, but the most rich. And what was interesting is I looked through commentaries. I, I look at about a five to ten commentaries, and, 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 and all of them had very short paragraphs on this section. But, but as we began to peer into it and look into it, there's a lot that has to do with us. And so as we see in the beginning of this passage, you see Jesus baptizing. Jesus goes out and he begins to take his place in being the post-runner of the forerunner, John, which brings me to my first point. If you're going to be a role player in God's kingdom, the first thing that must, you must work through is the role of others must not dictate your role in the kingdom. The role of others must not dictate your role in the kingdom. This is of extreme importance because if you look in the text here, 
you see that it begins with John baptizing and it's, I mean, Jesus baptizing, but it says that it wasn't actually Jesus baptizing, but his disciples were baptizing and Jesus was spending time kicking it with his disciples. Now, right now he's the 12 have not been appointed yet. So it's a myriad of people who have been attaching themselves to Jesus in Matthew and in Mark, you'll see the time where Jesus goes all night after he comes out of the wilderness experience, which is not recorded in John. And after that, he'll pray and he will appoint the 12 apostles. But right here, which isn't even mentioned in any of the other passages, you see the overlapping of John's ministry and you see the overlapping of Jesus's ministry. But then you see a group of people who have attached themselves to Jesus, who hasn't really been yet designated as, leader, as leaders, but he was spending time with them, checking them out to see what type of cats they were, but he was also allowing them to baptize. Now, this baptism here is not Christian baptism. It's a continuation of the affirmation of the baptism of John. Now, what's, 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 what's dope about this is that now you see John goes to another area. Powerful, powerful thing. It says he, he, he was still in the Jordan region where they were baptizing. But he left the Jordan region because there wasn't much water in that region except for the Jordan, Jordan and a bunch of springs. And so, and so my man John, as he begins, if, if it's dark behind me and it's a spotlight, he begins fading into black. And as John begins to fading into black, he, he, he continues his ministry of pointing people to the Lord Jesus Christ. And what he does is he, in, in, in his way of pointing people to Jesus Christ, he moves, listen, he moves from the area that he was in baptizing, going to a place where there was a lot of water, but there was less exposure to a bunch of other people so that Jesus Christ could take the forefront. And can you imagine you know what I'm saying? John, John the Baptist is probably about 31. He was about nine months older than Jesus. So if Jesus is 30 at this time, John may be 30. Or if his birthday is about to come over, it's come. He's about 31. So they, they, they the same age. Young boys. And you know how testosterone-driven men who want to be on the top of their game, who wants to be the best at their craft, Kind of if they're doing the same thing and they're in the same business, there would seem to be some competition there because they're, they're real close in age. They're cousins. You know, there was buzz growing around John. And so John is walking in this buzz that's been hovering over his life because his mother and father remember that people remember that his mother's womb was closed. But at an elder age, her and Zachariah were able to uh, bear a child. And so they said this cat might be the Messiah. But something about John, he didn't grasp a hold of, stay with me, he didn't grasp a hold of the hype of the voices of men. But he was able, and we're going to talk about this and flesh it out in a minute, he was able to begin to flayed in the black, but, can't, black, but, black, but you, can you imagine being a disciple of John, being a part of Jerusalem's megachurch, First John Baptist Church. And, and can you imagine being a part of it? And there's mad people coming to that joint. And you're a part of the core team. You're a part of the core team. And man, it's time for setup. And John say, yo, don't set up the keyboard today. Don't set up the speakers today. 
You're like, nah, man, people are going to be in here. Things need to be. Nah, he's like, nah, let's go over here. Can you imagine his disciples used to being, having a lot of attention? People paying him a lot of attention. Then cats just dipping, going from First John Baptist Church to the church of Jesus Christ. <laughs> and going over here. Can you imagine that? And John's disciples like, man, we losing people, fam. We losing people. Why in the world are we fading into black? We at the top of our game. We're in our prime. You don't retire when you're 22. You retire when you're 58 in this thing. John like, telling you. I'm telling. And so we go in the text. Go in the text, and then my man says, says, for John was not yet thrown into prison. <laughs> then it goes, it says, there arose, therefore, a discussion on the part of John's disciples with a Jew about purification. So John's disciples get in the mix with a Jew who's signifying about the fact that they're using springs because they had to be running water based on Old Testament law for it to be con continuously replenishing itself. You're not supposed to use water that's already been used. It has to be a running water, not a pool of water. And so they've gone out to these springs. But then this, this discussion, and I would love to have known what this discussion was. I would have liked to know what specific questions that this cat was asking that made the disciples um, get into this conversation with one dude. It doesn't tell us whether or not this was another dude from the Sanhedrin that came out to check them out. We don't know what this dude was, but he came to check it out. And he began, began to engage them theologically about the purification rites of Jews. But then, then in the text, it kind of gives us a point of reference. In verse 26, it says, and they came to John. Stop right there. They came to John. So they got in this conversation with this dude about purification. And then they came, that is, the guy that they were arguing with and John's disciples. And look what happens. It says, and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you, notice that, with you, beyond the Jordan to whom you have borne witness, behold, he is baptizing in all are coming to him. In other words, there's some haterade going on in, in John's camp. Haterade. In other words, they, they, they looking at, they looking at the fact that Jesus is getting more cats coming through and they like, look man, stuff is dwindling. But notice that it was about baptism. So they were trying to say that Jesus Christ wasn't doing things the way they did it. And so they wanted to use that as a point of strife to build strife between Jesus and John so that they can get the prominent position of being the associate pastors of John the Baptist again. And John showing so much maturity beyond his years in the next verse does something. But this kind of reminds me of in our, in our time period of, of your man T.O., now we're not going to dog to Big T, but 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 I, I believe that my, my my man has believed so much hype about his gifting, about his abilities, that when he comes on a team, he think he is the team. So many people have told him, "Man, you a monster! You a raw athlete! Man, nobody has come like you in this way since." And then all of the press reports began to stack up in his head. 
and it got him in some interesting position. I'm not trying to dog him, but many of us are like that. <clears throat> you have to be very careful of people's quasi-encouragement. Because many times people will try to put you in a role that God has not called you to. Every single day you have to fight with that. I mean, you have to fight with that. Us as men in this society, the voice of the culture is telling us to be a certain way with women. I was with some pastors one time. This one pastor said, um, yo, E, let's go to this one spot. And let's just go over here. I said, well, yo, let me see what my wife is doing. And he was like, see what your wife is doing. He said, man, I'll go up to my wife. I'll tell my wife. Huh, honey, I'm going over here. And um, that's where I'm going, so I'm just letting you know that's where I'm going because I'm going. Whatever you want to do, you can do. He said, I don't know why you think you have to discuss the logistics of what you're about to do with your wife. You just do what you want to do. And in that reality and in that facet, it's making cats come out of their role. The culture is making cats come out of their role, having this improper view of manhood. And the culture also develops an improper view of womanhood that makes women think that they have to be a certain way in this culture. Because of 70s feminism. The voice of feminism, and, and I wanted to deal with this later, but one of the, the, the worst teachings on the planet is the idea of egalitarianism. Egalitarianism means that all of us are equal and there are no differences between us. I can do what you can do. Therefore, don't hold me back from, there are no role distinctions. There are no role distinctions. And since there are no role distinctions, let's all jump in the pot and do the same thing. But what we have to understand is if everybody was the same, then somebody's not necessary. And so John being banging in his wisdom. I mean, just very, he's going to show his level of maturity and security in his calling by doing something. Look at verse 27. It says, and John answered and said, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given from heaven. Next point, slow your role, show your role. Show your role. John, in the beginning of this passage, he's wanting to let, in response to his jealous disciples, he says to them, listen, Jesus Christ coming on the scene has a unique ministry that I've been called to prepare him for and prepare the way for. And because of that, understand if all the people are going to Jesus, then God sovereignly assigns. This is beautiful. God sovereignly assigns to each covenant, covenant member of his eternal community a role. Every single one of you all, under the sound of my voice, have a role. But many times we want to usurp the sovereignty of God, usurp God's passionate plan for what he wants to come through our lives. And we want to recreate another job description. 
many of us, if the truth be told, we're so insecure. And God has many, it tripped me out when people come up to me. And they say, I don't know what my purpose is. <laughs> and I'm trying to find out my purpose. And they'll sit down to me and they'll dictate to me their purpose. I'll hear it all in what they're saying. And I said, well, first off, I said, this is first off. I said, what else are you wanting me to tell you? Like, like about your purpose. I can't tell you what your purpose is. But you just told me your role and your purpose. And you're asking God for more because you don't like the one he gave you. So many of us, God has clearly shown us some of our roles and some of our purposes. And what happened is, is because we see someone else and we see how they're flossing their role in the kingdom, how they're showing off their role in the kingdom and how they're getting more notoriety in the kingdom. And because of that, we want to transplant their purpose and their role in the kingdom to ourselves. And so what we have to do as Christians, one of the deepest parts of being a Christian is understanding your role. If you're going to properly plug in like a Lego into God's um, diatribe uh, 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 of, of, of his kingdom, then what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to be comfortable with your role. You're going to have to be comfortable with your role and understand that to every person, God has uniquely, has uniquely assigned to each person a role based on his sovereignty. But not only do we show our role, we've got to slow our role. See, if you're going to show your role, you've got to slow up first. Because many times we're walking in a role that's not our proper role. I always hear like stay-at-home moms, especially in the first stages of being a stay-at-home mom, they begin to be very self-conscious, especially if they're degreed. They become very self-conscious about their role within the kingdom that they believe God has called them to be home. They deal with a lot of insecurity issues because around them, everybody else spews another role to them. And then they begin to demote themselves in another role that God didn't put him in. Look what John says in verse 28. It says, you yourselves bear witness with me that I am not the Christ. He slows his role. John slows his role. He says, slow down, fellas. I told y'all a brother is not the Christ. I'll never forget Howard Hendricks when I was in, when we, when I was in seminary. I, um, I was blown away. I mean, he said one of the most profound statements I've ever heard in my life. One of his mentees was my professor, Mark Bailey. I mean, this dude is lethal in Bible exposition. I mean, lethal. I mean, look, I'm the only black dude in the class, and you know I come from a very expressive environment. And, man, he would be teaching them scriptures, man. I'm sitting in my seat, man. And I'm, this is my first year of seminary. I came out of Backyard Baptist Church in the gutter where, you know, the guy was saying, hey, all right. And, you know, I'm sitting down chopping up them scriptures, man. And I'm looking around, looking at everybody. I'm like, don't y'all hear what this cat is saying in this piece? And, man, I, I stand up with the death still around me. I'm like, hallelujah. Bless God in this place. Hey, hey, I'm going crazy in, the, in that thing. <laughs> Then Mark Bailey says, uh, he's laughing. He says, you have to excuse our African-American brother. <laughs> he says, 
let me just give you a brief history of African-American culture, because everybody's people packing up and... <laughs> and um, he says, they respond, a lot of different cultures, not, every, not just African-Americans, but particularly in this culture, they respond in a certain way to the word of God when it's being taught. And so we want to open our eyes and even be able to join them in the expression. Then after class, I go up to him, and I'm just, I'm just, I'm shaking. Um, and he says, um, he says, Eric, he's a short white dude, heavy set, glasses on, tie this way, you know, you know, prof, just prof, like profs are. And he says, I'm a black man in white man's clothing. <laughs> but then I went to Howard Hendricks class and Mark Bailey was getting another role at the school he was becoming the vice president of the school and, and Howard Hendricks stands up in class and he said, he said I told this dude this is my mentee I told him this public information so I'm not putting him on blast he said that he should remain in the classroom and that he shouldn't go to an administrative position within the school he says because sometimes a physical promotion in a man's eyes is a spiritual demotion in God's eyes See, whenever we listen, whenever we attempt to live outside of the role that God is giving us, even though it might look as a promotion, it might have more money, it might have more opportunity in your eyes, but it may actually be a demotion because you're living below your calling. So we have to begin as Christians to begin like John to see ourselves properly, to slow our role. We need to be able to slow our role. It's beautiful how in the book of Luke, Jesus even proclaims the beauty of John's role in Luke chapter 7, <coughs> verses 24 through 30. It says, and when the messengers of John had left, he began to speak to the multitudes about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to look at? A reed shaken by the wind. But what did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are splendidly clothed and live in luxury are found in royal palaces. But what did you go out to see? He says, a prophet? Yes, I say to you, and the one who is more than a prophet... This is the one about whom it is written, Behold, I send a messenger, my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. I say to you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John yet. He who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Verse 29, and, they, and when all the people and the tax gatherers heard this, they acknowledged God's justice, having been baptized with John's baptism. Now check out the next verse. It says, but 
The Pharisees and the lawyers rejected God's purpose for themselves. <laughs> See, if you're going to slow, if you're going to, if you're going to show your role, you have to be able to, 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 to embrace God's purpose for your life. And you got to be comfortable with it. You got, you got to, you got to put your arms around it and you got to know that role better than anyone else. Because if you're fearfully and wonderfully made, if you were created in Christ for good works beforehand that you should walk in them, then you need to trust God that He's going to develop banging works through you no matter what somebody else is doing. And you have to be able to do that. One of, the, one, one of, one of our, my mentors told me, he says, I don't know what happens, but after you turn 35, something happens to you. He says, most guys below the age of 35 are scratching and scraping for something. He says, but if you're really walking with God, when you get 35, you begin to develop a comfort because you begin, to, you begin the process of learning your limitations and you beginning the process of also knowing what you're able to do. And you stop focusing on what you're not able to do and you begin to focus on the role that God has given you in the kingdom very important for us. It's very important for us to begin as Christians to begin to passionately uh, develop in our role. But then not only in showing your, in showing your role, you got to slow your role, but in slowing your role, you also got to know your role. You've got to know your role. Listen to verse, listen to verse 25. It says, he who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. And so this joy of mine has been made full. John does something crazy here. And this is going to be a crazy illustration, but they understood it. John gives a wedding illustration to illustrate his role to illustrate his role in Jesus' ministry. He says, I am the equivalent of our best man. Now, the role of the best man, he was supposed to be the wedding coordinator. He's the best friend. Listen, he's the best friend of the groom. And in that culture, except for in Galilee, they did things a little bit differently. But all of these guys would have understood what he was saying. They would have said, he said, he says, I, and, what, and what they do is something interesting. The, the, the best man or the best friend of the groom, after the wedding is set up, they would go into the, the chamber. And when, listen, they would go into the chamber, the, the, the husband-to-be and the wife-to-be, and they would have sexual intimacy or sexual intercourse with each other. This is crazy when I look this up, but it's so true that they do it. The dude, after he finds out that his wife is a virgin, he yells out to his boys. That's crazy, right? It's crazy. But that's what he does. And also they put the towel out to show after the hymen has been broken, the blood is on it. And John says in this passage, he says the equivalent of the consummation of a marriage has taken place. In this transferal, and in this transferal, the bridegroom has yelled out to me. In other words, Jesus Christ has said he's come to get his bride and the marriage is going to take place. And in the marriage taking place, I understand my role. And now he's yelled out to me. And now I respond that the wedding goes forth. And then when they find out that she was a virgin 
and it was a true consummation of the marriage, his boys would big up God, big up real loud, yeah, 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 doing like that. I mean, that's crazy. I know it's a little embarrassing women, but it was a part of their culture. I know y'all like, y'all better not start getting extra biblical activities in my marriage covenant. Y'all start yelling out, I'm going to get me a gat and shout the lighting cats up on the outside of the, the bridal chamber. But the illustration John is giving, the illustration that John is giving is he's giving to say, I'm glad that Jesus is getting his props. He says, I'm glad that my role was fulfilled. I find so much fulfillment in the fact that the thing that God put me on the map to do, I'm coming off the map because somebody else is coming on the map. You got, you got to be, look, even in your role, you must not treat your role like your role is God, but you should be able, even in your exercising of your role, to enjoy seeing your role make way for somebody else's role. <laughs> you got to be able to do that. You got to be able to do that. You have to be able to be so comfortable. And, you, and if other people give more encouragements and voices of triumph for that person, you got to see that your role is taking place. But the major place in this context that we see it taking place is the exaltation of the person of Jesus Christ. The exaltation of Jesus Christ. So you're supposed to show your role and you sh slow your role, but then you got to know your role. You got to know your role. I like the way I like the way Romans says it says, let not anyone think more highly of themselves than they ought to think. Of course, you're not supposed to think too low. You're not supposed to think too high. Now, humility. God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. People people think humble humility is a posture of barrenness. That's not that's not humility. That's false humility. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, talks about cats putting on sackcloth and ashes and walking around saying prayers publicly. That's, that's not humility. Humility, humility is this, is this. Being honest with who God is and being honest with yourself, who you are. In relation to God's view of who you are. Being honest about who God is and being honest with yourself about who God created you to be. And you got to be comfortable with that. That's the crux of humility. Humility is not po posture. It's more comfort, comfort and peace with who God created you to be. Everybody, God has given everybody a sweet spot, a sweet spot. Everybody got a sweet spot. And one of life's voyages is for the spirit of the living God to begin to develop us into walking in that sweet spot. And then when you find people that have that same sweet spot that you have, then what you all do is you all converse, but you all don't have to vie for position because everybody, the Bible says in Romans, I like this. Turn over to Romans chapter 12 real quick. I like the way the Bible says it in verse 3. It says, 12.3, it says, For through the grace given me, I say to every man among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think. Then it says, But to think so as to 
have sound judgment as God, listen, has allotted, has allotted to each a measure of faith. This is deep. This is talk. This is in the context of gifts. Now, what God has done is he's given everyone a role and he's given every Christian a gift. But in proportion, because anything done without faith is sin, uh, Romans chapter 14, the last verse, what happens is, is God allots, based on our role in the kingdom, a measure of faith that is required for the specific activity of the role that he's given us. And what God wants us to do is to understand that some people say, I wish I had faith like so-and-so. I wish I was like, no, walk in the faith that God has allotted to you and maximize your use of that faith. One of the things I like about Kim Burrell, Kim Burrell is a ridiculous singer. And, and the thing I like about Kim Burrell is Kim Burrell is not really, she can't really do a Mariah Carey thing. You know that thing that Mariah Carey does? That thing way up there? She can't do that. But she has a little pocket that she can sing in. And you know that booger takes that little pocket and she works that little bit of pocket that God has given her in her vocal range. And she and she's created a trend of running that can't anybody touch because she got comfortable with the range that God has given her and she maximized the space that God has given her in that range. That's what you have to do. That's what you have to do. You have to begin to maximizing the space that God has given you within the role that he's called you to. I got to end because I'm getting hoarse. It says, and he says, and so this joy of mine has been made full. He says, he must increase and I must decrease. He must increase and I must decrease. So it all boils down to humility, honesty with who we are. But then my last point, as I get ready to close, Jesus honestly embraced his role in the kingdom. Jesus honestly embraced his role in the kingdom. Jesus honestly embraced his role in the kingdom. Now, at this point in the text, in this, um, what we will call a variety show, a sanctified Saturday Night Live, John the Baptist and all of his disciples, as John decided, he must increase and I must decrease. And it stops. And John fades into black. Then John, the author of the book of John, begins to take stage as the narrator again. He begins to talk. And John said, he who comes from above, he who comes from above is above all. He who is of earth is from the earth and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. John is giving a brief commentary on what just happened. And he says to John, 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 the apostle, he says, listen, Jesus is from above. John is from the earth. John did not start in heaven. Jesus started in heaven. Jesus took on an additional nature and came among us. Therefore, he is above all. Therefore, he's talking to his audience about stop looking to John the Baptist and understanding John the Baptist's role. But beyond understanding 
our own role, you all, we have to be able to understand the beauty and glory of the role of Jesus Christ. And he says, Jesus Christ is above all. So that shows us that Jesus Christ is supreme in several ways. Jesus Christ is supreme in his origin. See, what's so dope about Jesus? Let's give Jesus the ultimate example of this. If you look at Jesus, Jesus always told the truth about who he really is, who he really was, and who he really was going to be. And he was always, even though the people around him was thinking that he was blaspheming or talking about himself more highly than he was, he was just being honest about who God had made him as a human to be. So Jesus is supreme, and Jesus knowing himself better than any of us, Jesus is supreme in his origin. That's, that's, verse, that's verse 31. But not only is Jesus supreme in his origin, he is supreme in his witness. He is supreme in his witness. It says right here, it says, it says, and what he has seen and heard of, that he bears witness, and no one receives his witness. It says, he who comes has received his witness, has set his seal to this, that God is true. This is rich. It's real rich. Bear with me. He says, Jesus Christ, because he's above all, has been witnessing the essence of God that we talked about in our first message. He's witnessed the, the glory of God. He's witnessed the grace of God. He's witnessed the justice of God. He's witnessed the eternality of God. He's witnessed the preeminence of God. He's witnessed the truth of God. He's witnessed everything about God. He and the Father, the Bible says, Jesus is, the bosom, is in the bosom of the Father, John 1, 18 meaning that Jesus spent time eternally kicking it with the Father so he's supreme in his witness. And John says, if you believe that Jesus is supreme in his witness, you have set your seal that God is true. Deep. Let's start with set his seal. Set his seal. Back in the day, um, they they didn't lick postage, put a postage on it and all that stuff like we do and close it up and send it. What they would do is they had a cup. And they would heat that cup up, and under it they would put they put they drop wax in it. When they would drop wax in it, when they closed an envelope or there was any documentation, if it was a piece of paper and it was a flat documentation, they would pour they would pour hot wax on it. And as you know, wax when it separates from heat immediately begins to dry and it softens. And every many prominent leaders had what's called a signet ring. And what they would do with that signet ring is they would make the impression of that signet ring in that wax. And what they were saying with that signet ring, there was an insignia that was indigenous or specific to the person who wore the ring so that when it hit the paper and it pulled back from the wax, that the person that this was carried to knew that this was from the authentic person of which this letter or document is to be received. John says, anybody that receives Jesus's witness has set his seal. You have confirmed the reality that Jesus Christ is supreme. But what what, what does it say? He says, confirm this, that God is true. Well, what about God is true? This is what we do when we affirm this. This is the, the, God has a perfection, which is called truth. I mean, his nature, it says truth means, 
out of the Moody Handbook of Theology. It says truth means that the facts conform to reality. Truth identifies things as they are, properly defined in relation to God. Truth is that perfection of God being by nature of which he fully answers to the idea of the Godhead, listen, is perfectly reliable in his revelation and sees things as they really are. First, it means he is truth. He is the true God in distinction to all others. There is none like him, Isaiah 44, 8 through 10, 45 and 5. Second, he is the truth in that his word and revelation are reliable. Numbers um, 23, 19, he can be trusted. Third, he knows things as they are. He is the beginning of all knowledge and makes it available in order that, listen, man, may have fellowship with him. He is the truth in in the comprehensive sense. He is the source of all truth, not only in the sphere of morals and religion, but also in every field of scientific endeavor. When you set your seal to the fact that Jesus is God, manifested in flesh, you say that God is true. But not only do we talk about the supremacy of God's witness, we also talk about the supremacy of Jesus' authority. And I'm closing. He says, for whom, for he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for he gives the spirit without measure. The father loves the son and has given all things into his hand. So now we see that Jesus is supreme and that now what John said about Jesus, that Jesus has come to give the spirit without measure. He who comes after me will not just baptize you with physical water, but he will baptize you with spiritual water and fire. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And John says, this is the cat that has supreme authority as the God man to tell the spirit what to do said he gives the spirit so jesus tells the spirit who to go into (laughs) his authority but then it says the father has given all things into his hand that means god has delegated in in a way i don't understand some of the authority that is inherent in his rulership to his son for a designated period of time until what's going on in 1 Corinthians 15 says Jesus will redesignate that authority over to the father for him to rule as the triune uh, the head of the triune clique that rolls thick <laughs> some of y'all missed that Then lastly, not only is he supreme in all those other ways, but Jesus' role, listen to this, is is the supreme satisfier of the wrath of God. He's the supreme satisfier of the wrath of God. He's the supreme satisfier or extinguisher of the wrath of God. In heaven, there's a cup. And every time... A person that doesn't know God sins. It's a cup of fire. (laughs) God puts more fire of anger in that cup. The cup of wrath. It says in the verse, it says, 
He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son shall not see life. That's not talking about that faith is a work, a meritorious work. It's just saying obedience is tied to believing. That's, a, that's, that's an un, unmeritorious work of obedience. It says, but the wrath of God abides or remains on the person that doesn't know Jesus Christ as Savior. If they've rejected the Son, then the wrath, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3, that the wrath that we were at one time, those who, who transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of life, had they were, we were children. We were being nurtured by the wrath of God. We were children of wrath. We were, we were going to get our just due wrath. Romans chapter 5 verse 9 says that Jesus Christ satisfies the wrath of God. Reminds me of when in my mother's kitchen one time I was cooking. I was cooking a, a bologna sandwich. Y'all don't know nothing about that. I was cooking a bologna sandwich and I put some, I put some, some of that, um, y'all don't know nothing about that, that, that government butter and that government cheese. And I, I took I took the, the 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 red parts off the outside of the bologna, you know, and you know I slit the bologna in the middle so it wouldn't swell up like that, and so it could lay straight down. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. And what I do is I cut that government cheese, Amen, praise God, Hallelujah, and lay it on top. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I, you know, I'm trying to be Chef Raekwon or something, Chef. You know, I'm going like this and carrying on. And then all of a sudden, a spark flames the pot. And so I go get some, I go get some water and I just, I just, and it goes, foosh. And I'm like, oh, sniggity snap. I go get my mom's and I run and go get my mom's. I say, mom, I'm trying to put out the fire. And my mother said, chill out, chill out, calm down, calm down. Get me a towel. When she went and got the towel, she smothered the fire that I spread through trying to put it out myself. And the fire that I was trying to put out, she smothered it, she covered it, and extinguished the fire. In our lives, many of us who don't know Christ try to extinguish the wrath of God by our own works. And all it does it spreads the fire of God's wrath. But Jesus, the Christ, the son of the living God, came to cover what we spread. And today, under the sound of my voice, you've been spreading the wrath of God ever since you were conceived in your mother's womb. Spreading it. Somebody say, well, how can a zygote be... God got a beef with you from birth. In every act to get in relation with him on our own spreads wrath. So today, you can't be a role player until God drafts you on his eternal team. Look, God doesn't go scouting people's gifts. <laughs> He's not a scout. God looks for people who are nothing. <laughs> and gives them skills and trains them for his team. But he doesn't do that until you trust Jesus and you recognize that your fallenness, your jacked upness, all of us in the room that know Jesus, 
has that reality. Our fallenness and our jacked upness spreads the wrath of God. But Jesus Christ wants to cover that wrath through faith and draft us on his team. Bow your heads.